Hi, I'm Nina Samuels, and apparently you have nothing better to do with your time, so you are listening to the Holy Shoot podcast. Howdy, Holy Shooters. This week, we are back with one of our Holy Shoot interviews, where I, Jason, a.k.a. Chase E. Cornett, a.k.a. your favourite member of the podcast, interview people involved in the grassroots of professional wrestling. Your other favourites, like Sam and Brod, will be back soon for another wrestling challenge, but this week, I have the mic alongside my special guest. And today, I am joined by Jackie Pratt, talented writer and lead singer in Cheap Pop, a really fun wrestling rock band. Jackie is on the show to discuss her recently completed PhD on rhetoric and composition. And while that may seem like a really funny subject to discuss on a wrestling podcast, trust me, you're going to love this and learn something. So her PhD involved her writing up a very big dissertation, which included a 50-page chapter in which it was discussed the classic wrestling match was the Young Bucks versus the world's cutest tag team of Joey Ryan and Candice LeRae, with this match actually used as a way to explore women in professional wrestling and some wider theories. Um, I recommend going and watch this match, by the way. Um, it's really going to help going back and watching it now or after the show. Uh, it's kind of available on YouTube and probably officially from PWG. And it's from July 1994. Just look up you know, Young Bucks versus World's Cutest Tag Team. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, so the chapter in her dissertation was actually titled Blood, Thumbtacks and Tears and subtitled Ambiguity, Action and Feminine Agenda in Professional Wrestling. The um, dissertation has a lot of really big words in it and quotes from the likes of Emily Reed of EVE Pro Wrestling and even Heather Bandenberg from our interview on The Holy Shoot back on episode 17 where we talked about her career and her now published book Unladylike. Um, So today we're going to talk about Jackie's writing and then we also at the end talk about Cheap Pop and their album in Gorilla and her general plans to be more involved in writing about wrestling. Jackie refers to wrestling as a storytelling medium that uses the human body as its primary expressive mode to tell narratives around the communal assumptions of justice. We went into detail about the old good versus evil, babyface versus heels, and it's how it's all about that important spectacle of suffering, defeat and justice. The chapter um, that we're talking about from her dissertation really went into the detail of something Jackie refers to as mattering, which is the conscious and deliberate shaping of knowledge to explore or articulate particular aims, purposes, inquiries and intentions. That sounds pretty heavy, doesn't it? Don't worry, we break it down so that normal people like you and me can understand it and really learn a lot. Um, So it's actually the smartest thing I've ever read in terms of wrestling writing goes into really detail and it's got lots of quotes from really respected writers and academics but don't worry coming up next Jackie's going to explain it for you and me the standard wrestling fan so welcome back and we have Jackie here now Jackie how are you doing I'm doing pretty good how are you doing today not too bad for me this is like evening time Saturday I've already done the gym I've had a beer to celebrate going to the gym that feels mm-hmm. productive so it's not not too bad and the sun is kind of out so it's not too bad and um, for you it's morning no, so it's lunchtime now for you isn't it it's about lunchtime, lunchtime yeah for you. um so yeah where are you right now 
Uh, I am in uh, eastern Pennsylvania. I'm in a little area called the Lehigh Valley, uh, which is, I guess, maybe most famous for Billy Joel has a song called Allentown. And that is a part of the Lehigh Valley. So that's where I'm located right now. Um, It's about mm, maybe like an hour and a half outside of uh, New York and Philadelphia. It's sort of like a midpoint between them. So eastern part yeah. of the country <laughs> and, and so, so i'm in woking and we're most famous for the fact that war of the worlds is set here mm, so yeah. in woking high street there are giant alien statues that is, which awesome. is quite cool which is like that's, yeah. that's our thing that's our thing <laughs> uh so um so, you, so you're, you're doing a bit of work today as well but you managed to make some time out for this interview which is good how is life in general Uh, Right now, a little bit chaotic. Uh, I just finished up my PhD at the University of Washington, which is out in Seattle, which is, for those of you not in America, the like complete opposite like side of the country. I'm on the eastern seaboard now, and that is on the western seaboard. That's very much in the top corner as well. Yes, Yes, it is north. Yeah. Um, Whereas I'm sort of like nearing the mid point of the coast not quite the mid-atlantic but like almost there it's a weird region where i am right now but uh, i just finished that up in june so summer has been a lot of me moving back to the east coast getting sort of settled in and established now i'm in the process of looking for like full-time stable work uh so it's sort of this weird transition period where you know for so long the phd was the goal so it was like working towards this working towards this building towards this and now it's like all right accomplished what's the next sort of set of things and that's where i'm at yeah. so you so talking about the phd so that's why we're talking today because <laughs> I, I mean this came about because i discovered cheap pop and you know, we did the previous episode where we talked about like rock music or just general wrestling music like mm-hmm. you and the b plus players and so on so and we've, we've kind of we've been in touch since then that was back in episode eight we've never actually spoken until now we've been back and forth oh. on like twitter like like mm-hmm. messages and emails and we're finally chatting and just from doing that episode and talking to you, you talked about your writing and the fact that you were doing a PhD and kind of blew my mind with the idea that a chapter of that in your dissertation was actually about wrestling yeah um how did that actually come about how did you get wrestling into like you know a PhD yeah so there's a core uh, kind of a couple different threads about this so uh indirectly sort of just getting wrestling into this dissertation work I started working with wrestling scholarship um maybe around 2012 2013 when I was working on my master's degree uh and I was watching wrestling a lot at the time uh and I was like man there's just so much good stuff here that is useful for thinking about how meaning is made these rhetorical processes of you know symbols becoming something and being interpreted in ways and used in certain ways and how they change and gain um energy and momentum through it through use and all, i just saw so much rhetorical potential in wrestling and in scholarship in general not just in rhetoric but like in any sort of like humanities scholarship there's not a lot done about professional wrestling it's it's just not a topic that's talked about a lot so i sort of was like well i see something interesting there's not a lot about it so i'm going to start writing about it so i think i first presented work um and started writing about like explicitly Uh, I had a chapter in my master's thesis about Daniel Bryan uh, and the Yes Movement um, and sort of the rise of that. And that was nice because it sort of coincided 
with his WrestleMania uh, moment. So this was, you know, late 2013, early 2014 when this was happening. And that's when I was working on my master's thesis. Uh, so I had written about him there and presented some work about that at a conference. And then just through that work, started meeting other scholars who were interested in wrestling, but didn't know what to do about it because like, it's not an established field. So it's just slowly taken up momentum. Um, I've worked with a couple people on stuff about um, kayfabe as um, kind of a, a a cultural logic or a way of thinking about or processing current events that are happening in the world. And I think now more than ever, uh, that's even something <laughs> yeah. to really dive into. Um, and one of the the key sort of um, contributions, if you will, that wrestling can make to like studies and understandings of publics and of, of of rhetorical knowledge construction so yeah anyway it's it's a thing that i'm hoping that we'll start to really see take take um substance and form over the next couple of years as this wrestling boom starts to unfold hopefully we'll start to see more scholarship happen with it you're right it's quite interesting it's that way because you think that, that we, it's weird to think of wrestling in a boom because it's been a while but when you say boom it's like the the, the value of the tv deals that wwe has yes. got AEW launching yes in the uk at the minute we have this thing where Brit wrestling is dead there's a bit of controversy because a few companies have closed down but it's like you know just trying to mature but some of the companies are doing really well you know mm -hmm. so it's a, re it's a really sort of weird situation there for the uk compared to the us though um before we go into kayfabe and the main thing, the main, your, your main PhD discussion here, uh, I just want to ask, you presented at a conference about Daniel Bryan and the Yes Movement. I did, so yeah. It's so a bunch of academic people. Uh -huh. how, many, how many people did you try and explain Daniel Bryan to? Uh, there were probably like, I'm going to say 15 to 20 people were in the room. So, you know, the way that these conferences are set up. Uh, there are multiple concurrent sessions. So you might have anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20, 25 different options to go to in a given time slot. So, you know, people are choosing to come into that room for a reason. Some <laughs> of them might have an interest in wrestling. Some of them might have, you know, colleagues who are presenting or just like, you know, friends who are presenting. Um, some just might be curious, just be I what is this thing? I'm going to check this. So like, it could be a bunch of different reasons that people come into the room, but yeah, explaining wrestling to people who don't know wrestling is difficult because you have to take a step back and explain so many like key fundamental concepts that we can just, you know, use the banter, use the words, use the terminology because we're fans who've spent so long dwelling with it, you know, thinking about it, being in it, listening to podcasts, reading articles, watching programs, you know, we understand this terminology. So you really need to step back and be like, before I talk about this interesting person, let me tell you all this other stuff and then tell you why this is interesting, which is kind of what the chapter does. It's a whole other level to, yeah, it's like the whole, when you have a drink with some friends and somehow you end up talking about the fact you like wrestling and you forget that you have to explain these terms to them. And yeah. I, I've had it when I'm trying to explain to people, this is what I'm doing or why, why this show is so important. And yeah, and you realise sometimes you talk in terms about marks and kayfabe and you're like, you have no idea what language I'm talking about right now. Yeah. I don't know if like you had to do that in just a in like in the writing, what we're talking about, you know, the chapter. I mean, you, you had to, you have to sort of, pull that yes. back a few times to make sure but people would know what you actually meant mm -hmm. 
so I mean so we if we talk about that so I, I explained this in like the pre like the preamble what I did before we started talking and why it's so interesting in the PhD I think it's fair to say um there's a few key things right it's about it's mainly about like you wrote about wrestling it's focused in particular on this one match as an example you know the um, young bucks versus the world's cutest tag team it's a great mm-hmm. one match to then go into various things um and you could you could talk about this thing you refer to mattering and how yeah. professional wrestling is a great way to explain mattering. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to look like what is mattering to the layman? Yeah, so that is one of the concepts that I'm kind of working with and developing in the whole document. So I sort of, I've just mentioned this idea of dwelling a moment ago. And what I do is I sort of pair together these ideas of dwelling and mattering as two different, um, but not exclusive ways of um making meaning or coming to knowledge. So dwelling is when you uh, come to knowledge slowly over time by being present, by being there. So, you know, as a wrestling fan, I've been dwelling with wrestling for a while. It's what allows me to have this kind of level of analysis with it. Um, And that's one way that people can come to knowledge about all sorts of different things, right? Uh, If I have a porch and I sit outside of my porch in the morning with a cup of coffee, uh, I might notice in spring the patterns of the birds and where their nests are. And then when the babies are being born and I can see the mama feeding the, the, the babies their grubs. And, you know, like that is that is a coming to knowledge that happens only through being present over time that. It's not something that is, you know, deliberately taught or formed or, you know, interpreted like that is that is just a knowledge of coming to. So I I call that dwelling. So its counterpart is mattering, which is what this chapter is sort of a demonstration of, which is a deliberate shaping of knowledge. So this idea that we have information, we have learned things through a variety of different means. But what do we do with that knowledge? How do we apply it and make meaning uh, and understanding of, of events, of situations, of um, interactions? Uh, how do we do something with that and make meaning with that, interpret that? And mattering is a more purposeful shaping of knowledge for uh, an intention, for a purpose, for an outcome, which is what this chapter is. It's, you know, taking a look, you know, on on a very real level, it's about the match and it's about Candice, right? It's about Candice as, you know, an incredibly important um, icon and that moment of the, the Crimson Mask being such an incredible moment for women's wrestling going forward. Uh, but in order for me to make that argument, I also then need to look at like this very complex set of factors that are coming together in that moment to put it in a position to even be as impactful as it was in the grand scheme of things. So take some time and take some, you know, omnidirectional analysis that's happening, but I'm deliberately looking at that information to kind of make this argument. Um, I was going to say, if at any point you go into too much detail with long words, I'm going to have to sort of call a referee stoppage or, you know, ask you to back Do off. it. I'll let you it's know okay. if it happens. I think we're okay so far. But I just want to make sure that everyone can understand what yeah. we're talking about. So um, so that, I guess that's what mattering is. And how does mattering help, I guess, with the, I mean, you, you talk about entanglements and like feuds yeah. and stories and how that works. And then how entanglements work in the way of like kayfabe and authority. Mm-hmm. So entanglement is another metaphor that kind of is extended throughout the whole dissertation that you're only getting a piece of here. But I think, and this is, you know, the argument that I make as a scholar is that meaning making is an entangled phenomenon, that it's not just the static set of circumstances that we're responding to, but rather it's this dynamic living thing that can 
be both predictable, but also unruly and chaotic and, and things can happen that no one could even begin to project. Uh, so that we have to, if we approach the act of interpretation as this entangled phenomenon, it's harder, it takes more time, but it comes to more complete analysis. So what I'm doing is I'm using wrestling to demonstrate this because wrestling in and of itself is a complex art form. It is a lot of things happening at once, and a lot of those things are often happening in contradiction to one another. So things that appear to mean one thing in wrestling are actually, when you peel back the curtain, something else. You know, what appears to be uh, a punch is the illusion of a punch that is executed safely to not actually harm the other person. And that core tension of illusion and reality often being two very different things, but they're happening at the same time, I think is really, really useful for thinking about meaning making writ large. Uh, and that's what kayfabe kind of factors into in the chapter. Kayfabe is this important lens of seeing how all of those things can be true to a wrestling fan, how a wrestling fan can accept the illusion, can seek to understand the real that's underneath it um, without either being undermined by the other. Um, sounds sounds about right to me. Um, <laughs> um, and I, when I, I look at my notes, um, you kind of you're talking about kayfabe, and I mean that really comes in in particular in the first part, talking about independent wrestling, I guess. But you split it and you talk about the four wrestling eco ecologies yeah. in terms of how what this one match covers and why it's such a mm -hmm. great example of it. And yes. um, we can we can talk about all four of those and how they I guess come together. Um, but so the four though, that it's independent wrestling. It's hardcore wrestling, it's women's wrestling, and it's intergender wrestling. Mm -hmm. And this one match, you break down to all four of those. Yeah. So if we, if we talk about that a bit more, I guess we can do it like one by one and how yeah, yeah. This, this all comes together. So, I mean, the first thing you talk about in, this, in the chapter is independent wrestling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like a lot of people don't know maybe independent wrestling as much as other people do. They, a lot of people just know John Cena and The Undertaker. They yeah. know the big stage. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it's like to go to an Eve show with 100 people scattered around the ring or even a larger indie show with 1,000 people, which is what like what this one's more like. Um, yeah, it's a, independent wrestling is interesting because it's gritty, but it's also more real and it's harder to, guess. I guess, keep the kayfabe there with that audience. Yeah. Um, I mean, that sounds, that's my, that was my sort of take out of what you were mm -hmm. writing here. I don't know about how you would explain more about the independent wrestling element. Yeah, so I think you're spot on on the fact that independent wrestling is this really unique ecology because, one, there's a lot more freedom to try things creatively. So in terms of the stories that you can tell in wrestling, uh, you, can, you have a lot of freedom to try things and fail in independent wrestling because the stakes are considerably lower. You might have a couple hundred people there live. You might even have a bigger audience with streaming services nowadays and with the ability to view shows through like through Twitch or through independent TV or these other things. Um, but you still have the freedom to try a couple things. And if they fail, you can abandon them with relatively low stakes. And if they succeed, they can gain momentum and start to build reputations for individual wrestlers or managers or performers. Uh, they can build reputations for uh, whole promotions even. Uh, so there's this piece where you can really try new things. 
it's a testing ground. It's a training ground. You're actually learning the craft on independent wrestling wrestlers. There are, you know, a lot of those independent promotions are training schools as well. That's really, really important to keep in mind. So it's a place to learn, to grow, to try, to potentially fail, uh, and to hopefully succeed. Uh, but then there's this other piece where because it's part of local communities and there's lots of local identities um, at stake there, you can't keep up the illusion for too long because, you know, these are people that you're going to see before and after the show, right? Maybe you're sharing a smoke with them in the alley. Maybe you run into them in your grocery store just randomly one day. I remember when I was living in Seattle, I was on a bus home from Portland visiting some friends and ran into uh, one of the local wrestlers from a promotion 321 battle on the bus. So it was like, there. how do you... Yeah. keep Some, the illusion alive when that very real yeah. person is in front of you sometimes the eve champion just stands on your feet at a show when you're watching it <laughs> or you bump into trent seven on the underground you know we, yeah. those are my examples yeah yeah it's this it's that it's and, and you said it like how you can't really keep it you can't keep kayfabe separate when very real people who you get to know and get to care about as human beings are in your face regularly and you're having that that one-on-one contact with them oftentimes it's i don't know there's something magical about independent wrestling and independent wrestling fans because they want the stories they want to believe in the fiction so badly but they also want to see the very real people succeed and that's that's cool yeah, I don't know if you've um, seen much of Progress, the UK company. I've seen some matches. I haven't so, like followed it, but I, I know Progress. The reason I bring them up is because um, I've been to a bunch of their shows at the Electric Ballroom. They're very popular. But once a year now, they've done it season where they do a retro show. So you've That's got cool. all these guys that you've been watching wrestle and they've been in proper feuds of each other. And the one I went to, the most recent one was set in 1988, but I went to the one set <laughs> in 1978. And they have wrestlers doing gimmicks from that era. Just completely oh, playing fantastic. it up. The whole the whole theme of the show is completely different, and I guess you'd say it's non-canon. But it's all these guys that you've been watching have these amazing matches, and they really care about the belts, and they come out and do it completely differently. There was a guy, um, Paul uh, Paul Robbo, they know him as. He's he's Will Ospreay's tag partner, hardcore wrestler, very violent. You know, think like Jimmy Havoc style. Mm-hmm. And then on the '80s show, he came out as like an '80s dancer, and he came out to um the pat was it. Oh, what's the Patrick Swayze movie, Time of Our Lives? Uh, you know, uh, Dirty song. Dancing. Yeah, that was his theme tune. And he danced to the ring. Completely different character. Oh, I love it. But it sort of shows like, but, but the, the same people go to both shows. And it's just a case of like being in the moment of what you're accepting in that particular moment versus what you actually, mm-hmm. you know, what is actual real and being able to embrace it. Yeah. Three to one battle is so much like that in Seattle. I'm such a fan of their work. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite promotions, if not my absolute favorite promotion to go to live shows for. Um, that's where Ref Aubrey got her start as a girl Hebner, which is my favorite ref name in the world. <laughs> that is good. Um, see, I've got, you can't see here. I'm doing a visual gag. This isn't great for podcasting, but I do have a lovely girl Hebner pin. On my jacket here. I didn't realize she was girl heaven. That's quite cool. Yeah. Um, But uh, so that promotes, I know that that video uh, went viral a little bit where she was doing the dance with Sunny Kiss uh, to Gloria Estefan, um, (laughs) which was a treat. And that was, that might have actually been, that was, that was the last three to one battle show I actually went to before leaving Seattle. So that was really cool to get to see live. Um, But it's just that, like, you can have a dance break in the middle of a match. And because the fans there love the characters and love the promotion and love the people, 
they just buy it. It's it's not even a question. It's yes, I will go along with this because this is fun and I'm having yeah. fun. And it stretches it because like that's that can be in the middle of a show where everything else you accept is real. And then this one that happens, which none of us believe this is real. This is silly. But then we go back to believing it is real afterwards. It's a very unusual sort of world you get in the events in terms of yeah, yeah. keeping kayfabe, but accepting like what the bat, what the I guess how mm-hmm. much you stretch it. Yeah, and that's so important to. So I'm going to rein it back into the Candice match, right? Yeah. So this is so important to that match because one, because well, and this is going to mix it into some of the other ecologies, but. They get to try a hardcore match with a female competitor being the central, the central agent, the central wrestler. That story is about her in that match. Like it is a tag match, but it is about her and no mainstream promotion would have done that, would have taken that risk to be like, yeah, you know what, we'll we'll bloody her up. We'll we'll like beat her up to the point that she is bleeding. Uh yeah, especially in, 2014, in for her to have the victory. If yeah. You go back to exactly. 2014 at that point, we still had the butterfly belt. Right? Yes. That was still yeah, yeah. Was still a Divas. That was still Divas title, belt. butterfly belt. That was before the give Divas a chance uh hashtag happened. Um this was before the last five years of women's wrestling was even imaginable. Uh so for her to have such an authoritative performance at an indie show and a bigger indie show because uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla PWG, you know, they have DVD distribution. They have people watch from around the world. She is making this very clear declarative statement like, look at what I am willing to do as a wrestler. Look at what I'm capable of doing as a wrestler. Hire me. Book me. And it's such a declarative statement for anyone to make on an indie scene. To, to, to bleed on an indie show is a declarative statement no matter what. But for a woman in 2014 to do that as the central storyline element of a match is huge. It's unthinkable. You cannot stress how important that is to the development of women's wrestling. Yeah, and that, that so we're crossing into the other the other areas so like yeah, hardcore wrestling, women's wrestling, and intergender, mm-hmm. intergender all combined. And we talk about the hardcore bit there as well. So that was yeah. the, the story of hardcore wrestling, and like we think of some people just go, oh, Mick Foley covered in blood. Some people say Jimmy Havoc stapling people. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't often think women taking a thumbtack boot to the face and bleeding yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's like, and I think the, the interesting thing, I think you talk about it in when it comes to hardcore wrestling, and it ties into the kayfabe part as well in terms of we're mm-hmm. happy to watch these guys hit each other as long as it doesn't go too far. Did this go too far, like this particular moment? And also, but if there's a real injury, that's when people get more worried. It's mm-hmm. just like the, the absurdity of like, yeah, hit, hit, hit her with a you know, thumbtack boot, but God, someone's gone down holding their arm and they're not getting back up. Now I'm worried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talk um, before I get into these ecologies in the chapter, I talk about uh, this idea of rhetorical ambiguity and how because of kayfabe, all actions in a wrestling ring, including bleeding, uh, have some element of rhetorical ambiguity. Is it real or did it happen uh, on purpose uh, or is it some weird combination of the two? Is it a happy accident, as a Bob Ross would say? Like what, you know, the... In the heat of the moment, it's oftentimes very difficult to pinpoint the authenticity of blood. But it doesn't matter if it's authentic, why it came about. What matters is that because it's there, all of a sudden the action 
gets more real, even if it's intended, whether if, it, if it's a blade job, it doesn't matter if it's even like an intentional hard way, like it, the presence of blood in and of itself reminds readers our readers. Uh, what is that? Viewers that um, it's, it's dangerous. And there's always an element of this could go wrong always. And, and that's what hardcore wrestling brings to the surface it plays with those emotions of this could go wrong and horribly so at any time and for a certain type of viewer that is an exciting type of match yeah i'm, I'm not a guy that likes hardcore wrestling it's known on the pod i'm the guy that calls i don't mind hardcore wrestling i don't like garbage wrestling hardcore wrestling i'm that. cool with i mean like this like this when it's done well like this mm-hmm. it makes sense when it's just people hitting each other with light tubes I'm yeah. just, I, I don't I don't find anything clever and interesting about that. But it has to be this, part of the match. Yeah, when it's done this way, this mattered. You mm-hmm. know, to go back to your main point, like, yes. it, it mattered so much. And the fact that Candice LeRae is the one that takes the big spot mm-hmm. and you know, has the Crimson Mask, takes the thumbtack boot to the face. I know Joe Ryan ended up with like um, a crotch full of thumbtacks at one point. Mm-hmm. And there's some words like thumbtacks in the mouth. But the big moment is the super kick to Candice LeRae's face. And which makes it sort of, which makes it matter so much in terms of it's like they say, I don't know, I don't know if any woman ever on the main stage, the main product has ever taken a move like that or a moment like that. I don't think so. I'm just trying to think like maybe something accidental at some point. Mm-hmm. Like the nearest would be, I guess, and this is probably like for anyone who hasn't seen it this way, to liken it to when Nia Jax hit Becky Lynch, and again that was accidental, mm-hmm. broke her orbital bone and her node, whatever it was, blood everywhere, beaten yeah. up. And that is one of the most iconic moments, that image in wrestling of recent years. Uh-huh. And it's part, I guess it's tied into the same reason in terms of, oh, Becky shouldn't look like that. Yes. Yeah. A human being shouldn't look like that. And then you have the shock of a woman shouldn't look like that. And yet it is in both cases and with Candace and with Becky, it is pride. It is not a badge of um being a victim i say in my chapter it's not a mark of being a victim but a victor because she is able to stand there bloodied battered but victorious and powerful that is a mark of strength it is a mark of um the good old intestinal fortitude uh it is i don't know it's a badge of pride and honor in those circumstances but yet if you don't understand the context it can be so misread as something else to to outsiders yeah and that, that probably leads into if we talk about the next like of the three like women's wrestling mm-hmm. there like ties nicely into that and mm-hmm. it's the whole is this woman a victim i mean like when it came to becky and Jax, okay it's, it's a woman on woman hitting each mm-hmm. other there it's a little yes. different and still unexpected to have that happen but what stands out like i mean and we, and we talk about intergender in it but women's wrestling in general like those two like fighting the blood was very rare in wwe so mm-hmm. Candice LeRae back in 2014, <laughs> I mean, I, I, we'll have to, we sort of post out some images of it, but it's an iconic image of her covered in blood. Um, you know, I think it's one of those famous images like yeah, on the indie scene. People still like refer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you, you talk about it in the chapter, women's wrestling is not meant to have that. You know, women have all seen as lesser than men. And, Historically, you know, yeah. And this is before, yeah, give divas a chance. And the only woman before this, anyone would think about, like, oh, a woman, you know, can be as bad as men would be, like, China. But that was, she was treated very differently. But general women's matches and, like, 
never mind the gender, just like just women, they, they weren't given this kind of opportunity. No, not at all. It's never. <laughs> just, just wouldn't have happened. So then in the chapter, you talk, you, I think you go into detail about women's wrestling and how this is kind of a new thing. And yeah. this is why, it ma- this is again, why it matters that Candice LeRae is doing this. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons why I use this as an example of mattering is because looking at each of these ecologies, you sort of have to look at a little bit different, right? Independent wrestling, while it's weight that it carries in the like scope of the wrestling world in general has greatly increased um, since this match happened, that is less important than how the landscape of women's wrestling has changed since this match happened. And especially because I'm trying to make the point that this match, this moment is essential for shifting the narrative around women's wrestling, for shifting the perspective of women in the sport. So with that kind of in mind as, you know, what I think matters in this match. Um, We have an example here of a woman doing something absolutely unheard of and doing it well, doing it with the support of her tag team partner, who is now one of the biggest independent wrestlers in the world, with the support of the Young Bucks, who have now gone on to start a rival mainstream wrestling company to the WWE. I don't want to use rival, an alternative mainstream wrestling company because it's not a rivalry, but an alternative mainstream product that was unheard of when this match happened. But the Bucks were one of the most respected tag teams on the circuit. They were like, yep, Candice gets this moment. The promotion itself, PWG, um, you know, all of the, the the boys behind that promotion had to be behind Candace because this was a title match. So she is not just bleeding. She is not just winning. She is winning a tag team title at the end of this for her team. So she must have had a lot of people believing in her to be the central star of this story and to come out as a champion. And that was not happening other places in wrestling um, was not happening maybe anywhere else except Japan, right? Like Japan is sort of the outlier in this because the Joshi tradition is just so deep and so rich um, that like the critiques that you apply to women's wrestling elsewhere sort of don't apply, especially not in the same way in Japan. Um, but they do apply in, you know, North America and Europe and, and a lot of other places. Um, so this match and this moment really demonstrated that women can be a marketable, viable, um, talent that you can build storylines, championship brains around, uh, because this match just kept getting play and kept getting play and it was being shared amongst people and everyone needed to see this and, oh, you haven't watched this match. You need to watch this match. Like Candace is like, she is tough. She will kill you. Like that gained so much authentic support over the years from people continuing to talk about it that you had no choice. You, you couldn't just say, it doesn't work to have a woman in a main event spot. You couldn't say that you can't have a woman that men will get behind. Like those old critiques just don't stand in the face of that match and its reception, uh, which is, again, you know, you look at the trajectory of things that have happened since then. You know, we've now had women's champions in independent promotions. You know, Chikara had a female champion. Uh, Three to One Battle had a female champion. ECCW in uh, British Columbia, Canada had women's cha- Like we have now women being grand champions of promotions. We have women being featured as 
um, central characters and storylines. Uh, and that does not happen at the rate it does without Candace bleeding the way that she did in that match. I mean, um, it's interesting just thinking about this time, going back to this time in 2014 and just looking at what WWE was doing. And it, it's interesting because it was in that run up, you know, you still had, you were getting people like Kelly Kelly mm-hmm. and like Nikki Bella to be champions. You still saw the occasional one like a Beth Phoenix. Um, and it's around 2014, but you start getting the AJ Lee and the Page feud going back yeah. and forward. It's still for the butter, butterfly belt. Mm-hmm. But you saw that that's when, at least they were given a bit longer in matches. It started happening. And and then it's, you know, we, but we're still then dealing with the fact that Nikki Bella gets the belt for like a ma- massively long reign. And it's treated a bit silly until Charlotte wins it in like around around this time in 2015, actually. So yes. it's sort of, it's interesting watching like how, what happened there. And then, okay, then they deactivated it and they realized, oh, actually women should be allowed to, you know, have some respect. But it mm-hmm. still took, W was still nowhere near the level of like what we're seeing like Candice get that kind of like support whereas yeah. now you know, I think was it I think was it last this week yeah this week on Raw the women were kind of the main event on you know on Raw and Smackdown they're like the key feature I think on Raw they were the main event storyline as well and it's like you could never imagine like them getting that level of like support back in those days no like Candice LeRae got no it would have been absolutely unimaginable in 2014 to have said in five years, there's going to be females re- main eventing WrestleMania and women's match is going to re- main event WrestleMania like that. It, I cannot stress enough. If you would have told that to somebody in 2014, that that would have happened in the next five years, they would have laughed at you like, <laughs> oh, yeah. OK, sure. Yeah. And and sure enough, they the and I love the women in WWE have to put up with so much shit. And they are like they cannot be um, they cannot be revered enough for all of the crap they have to take, all of the terrible writing that happens surrounding their characters, all the shitty character development that is given to them or lack of character development that is given to them. And yet they still make themselves undeniable in the face of all of that garbage. Like they are so incredible. At least we've moved on from your catty or your preppy. They've at least moved on a little bit from there and given them that. Or sexy. Yeah. Let's not forget about that either. Like you're either catty, preppy, or a sex monster. Like you're just like, ah, I don't. It's it's funny. I mean, just kind of, you know, I I really loved that the women main event at that WrestleMania. It took us a while to get there when Mm -hmm. that finally happened. You know, I I was there waiting until midnight for the match to actually finally happen. That was a long day. (laughs) Um, But still, everyone thought that was the match which should have headlined. There was no question on it, which is cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so going back to like the writing, so we talked about the women's stuff, we touched on intergender as well. And I think yes. so the intergender wrestling is that's probably of all the things we talked about, like, you know, independent wrestling is more, you know, it's taken off. Hardcore mm-hmm. wrestling has its place. It always has. Women's mm-hmm. wrestling has taken off. Mm-hmm. Intergender wrestling is still, I guess it was very taboo then. It's still the taboo area, depending who you talk to in terms of yeah. some just won't do it. Some companies won't host it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a real question about man on women violence. and. Yes. Or is it unrealistic? Um, you know, but you know, it's interesting that you, you go into that in quite some detail as well. And we talked about how the rest of the company and the men were willing to work with Candice and put her over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it, it's a it's a big thing in the chapter. I think I think you go into it quite a bit, and you know, we, you talk you talk quite a lot. And there's also how the women, you know, in the early stages, women do train with men. Um, you know, just the fact, but it's still that it's still taboo, right? Yeah. So it's it's baffling to me that in all the progress that we've made around 
women's wrestling and viewing that as equally viable and equally entertaining as men's wrestling, uh, that there's still this weird controversy about intergender competition, which I I can't comprehend personally, but I I, I understand clearly I understand what the arguments are. I recap them in the chapter. Um, but there's this for some reason people and I I should be a little more pointed when I say this because oftentimes it is men who have this disposition, right? It's it's there's far fewer female voices that will be like intergender wrestling isn't believable. Intergender wrestling is promotes violence against women. Those are usually men's voices saying those things in the first place. Um, but I make the argument that both of those kind of main categories of resistance are inherently sexist positions that fundamentally ignore kayfabe. So, right, kayfabe tells us that it's an illusion, that no matter what, this is a crafted event performed by professionals, that no matter how you blur the boundaries between what is really going on and what is um, happening in a story, someone still made the decision to have someone win a match over another person. Someone made the decision to put them in a pairing together in the first place. They are making the decision to work together to tell a story, consensually participating in the match. So to view intergender wrestling as um, a form or um, some sort of um, um, uh, version of domestic violence or like will somehow signal uh, encouragement or support for domestic violence is fundamentally ignoring the fact that it is a fake fight that is consensual. Like domestic violence is not consensual wrestling is consensual. That matter of consent completely changes everything. Uh, so to, to equate it to domestic violence is really a misunderstanding of domestic violence and sort of um, really, to me, kind of offensive to people who go through that struggle, who have been abused by a partner or women who have been battered by men at like they're not the same thing. Uh, and then there's just the the people who say that intergender wrestling is not believable because there's no way that a woman can beat up a man. There's no, that, that the body strength doesn't match. Well, well they'll out muscle women. And like, it's again, a fake fight. And in a sport where Rey Mysterio has been a champion and a sport where we just saw Mar- Marco Stunt competing. I was, was going to ask like, you about Marco Stunt. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, we have precedent for matches where smaller bodies fight bigger bodies. And that's what wrestling is. It's it's an art form that uses the body to tell a fiction, to create an illusion. Um, wrestling has more in common with drag than I think any other art form. Well, it's drag and it's theater. It's, it's sort of those two things um, that is just using the masculine idea of fighting to tell its story as opposed to the feminine idea of, of fashion and making oneself an object. Um, but I don't know. It's baffling to me that that people can say that it's not believable when we've seen Rey Mysterio win, when we've seen Marco Stunk get used like he does. Like it's it just doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, I, I, I wanted to sort of talk about that a little bit. So, like, anyone who doesn't know Marco Stunt, he is, like, the smallest wrestler probably I've ever seen on a main like, on a main event show in terms of, yeah, he was just on AEW's second pay-per-view. I mean, I don't like Marco Stunt, I think, more. I just don't like his... I think mean, maybe it's his look or, like, his wrestling ability. I think, but I've probably got some unconscious bias because of his size. I'm less willing to take him seriously, and that's what I struggle with. But I'm happy to have intergender wrestling. But I look at him and go, I just don't believe you. More than I believe a woman could be better off in this match. Mm-hmm. I've probably got some going on there but for some people it's perfectly fine and then I think I look at it and go some people say oh women versus men is unbelievable I'm willing to completely suspend my disbelief about the fiend Bray Wyatt lives in some parallel universe where he's been cutting promos where he's in some sort of existential crisis limbo in his head there's all these other layers to it with puppets puppets appearing backstage um and then he comes out he's carrying his own head as a lantern you know he's and Mm -hmm. he's 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 an amazing performer but none of that makes any sense. No. But I accept it. And some people won't say, oh, Becky Lynch should be able to, like, you know, have a match or Candice LeRae should be able to have a match with a man. And the only time they accept it is when it's someone larger, like China or Nia Jax. Mm-hmm. It's mind-boggling to me. I just keep coming back to that. You articulated it so well. It's like we have characters like The Undertaker, one of the most beloved figures in all of wrestling. My man summons lightning. He comes out of a fog. He is the dead man. And we believe that. And yet you can't say that there's no way that, you know, Candice LeRae can't fight Finn Balor in a match. Like, tell me that wouldn't be an interesting matchup that they could tell a couple very interesting. Like, that is a cool matchup to me. Let me see, like, the demon versus Candice LeRae and the kind of chaos that would ensue in that match. Yeah. Let me, you know, there's a show. And that's the thing. Like, you're literally denying a whole world of storyline possibilities uh, by not allowing your male and female talent to compete. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested where AEW goes in this because I think from you know, their, their owners are saying they don't really like intergender wrestling. And then I still feel WWE has got the whole our sponsors wouldn't like it to be on our show thing. It feels like that's where they struggle with it. But it just feels like those are the main sort of blockers that we get from it being on a mainstream show, which is why it still says taboo and why it's sort of great when you see it on indie shows sometimes. Yeah, I have some very serious feelings about um, this sort of thing on a mainstream level because... Women, if a woman cannot compete for your titles, for your for your promotions, main championship, their story championship, then women can never be equal in the sport. Because if you're saying the greats are awarded titles for being the greats and that a woman can't hold the same title that Ric Flair held, can't hold the same title that Hulk Hogan held, can't hold the same title that John Cena or The Rock or Stone Cold held, then they are fundamentally not equal and can't be because you're telling them that you can be good, you could be the best of your division, but you can't be the best of the company. And that, to me, is the most frustrating thing to see because... The women will always be relegated to second class. The women's title will always be second to the main title if they can't compete for that main title. Further, if you're going to have a women's division, you should also call it your men's division or else it just comes across as this is a secondary Mm. thing, right? Like, why would you not identify the main roster as a men's division, women's division, and just here's 
here's this other separate thing, separate from this main thing that like it's it's fundamentally setting them up as secondary and other if you don't have an equal setup for your men. And if you want to avoid this problem, you know, you either have a men's division championship and a women's division championship, and you're explaining that they are equal titles to be held by men and women as they are, or you have one grand championship that anybody in that company can hold, whether they are a men's champion or a women's champion. Like, ugh. What what have you made of Tessa Blanchard versus Sammy Callahan in Impact? Have you seen I, any of that? I need to watch that. I've heard very good things about that program. I heard that um, Sammy worked it very well and very um, in a way that was very considerate to um, attentive to the fact that he was wrestling a woman and in that intergender story. Uh, but I need to actually, I mean, my time has been so, sl- I've cut out so much <laughs> wrestling product that I want to watch only because there's only so much time in the week. Uh, but that is something that I would like to get around to watching. Yeah. It's fair enough. And I think it's, it's been under the radar of a lot of people. I've only seen like bits of it, but I'm a, I'm not a big fan of Sammy Callahan in general, but I love Tessa Blanchard. And yeah, I've seen her like, on indie shows and she's so good. She just, owns it. She's just got such a bravado and an aura about her. I just wanted to sort of just build on her, you know, you know, the horse women, it's a birthright thing and just end up in WWE and just beat the crap out of everyone and set up a real horseman at some point. That's what I'd love to see it go one that day. That would be great. We, we shall see what happens. But that's been quite interesting. So intergender wrestling on, I guess, Impact isn't as big as it used to be, but it's still a show which is sold around the world and they're trying to get a new TV deal. And they've been featuring this intergender feud mm-hmm. quite heavily. Like, And I think I think they're still going to be going back to it as well. So yeah. It's interesting that they 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 don't seem to have made a big deal about it. It's almost like it's just happening. We're not making a big fuss about it. It just seems like the right few to do, rather than making any real like, oh, aren't we revolutionary? And that's how it should be. It's yeah. you have comp- you have really talented competitors of all genders available to you to make compelling stories. So look at what's your most interesting stories. And go from there. Don't think about like the gender is only a factor in how you approach the technical composition of the match, because, again, body type. So it matters in terms of if you have a big body or a small body or if you have bodies that are kind of comparably matched, like using that to tell the story, too. But it it doesn't matter in terms of character development, in terms of storyline, male and female talent or just talent. Uh, And then also like. To, to complicate the question, how do we, what do we make of wrestlers like Still Life with Apricot and Pears from Chikara, who is a non-binary wrestler? This is an individual who uses they, them pronouns, who doesn't believe they are man or female, but non-binary. Okay, where do they belong in a men's division or a women's division? Yeah, like, it's... all this stuff gets so complicated if you try to keep too rigid, outdated norms and perceptions. But if you just allow competitors to do what they do and the best talent to take um, to take flight with the audience and those relationships to emerge, you can't go like that's classic wrestling booking. You're just expanding it to all of the talent you have available. Yeah. Oh, we've, we've gone on quite a bit already. I'm just looking, I'm looking at the time. We've definitely sort of, uh, we've gone into some of these points in a lot of detail. It's been a great uh, chat. Um, I think so we touched on the four main points there. So hardcore yeah. wrestling, women's intergender and got independent, independent hardcore women's intergender. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it's a 50 it's a it's an overall it's a 50 page piece of work that you've done as part of a, a larger like a larger writing you've been doing mm-hmm. is there an overall like summary conclusion of that chapter that you would want to sort of highlight yeah um I mean there the, there's takeaways for like the academic audience that it's written for that I not to say they don't matter here but are less important for like a wrestling audience but for a wrestling audience the big takeaway is that a lot of disparate elements needed to come together for this match to happen how it did um between it being an independent match between it being a hardcore match between it being a title match between it featuring a woman as the main agent fighting alongside and against men uh but because all of these factors come together in this iconic visual of Candace donning this crimson mask, we can actually pinpoint a moment in time from which the shape of women's wrestling and intergender wrestling have shifted. Um, And what was unheard of in 2014 is now something that you can see in other places without it being a shock that it's happening in the first place. And for that to happen in only five years is pretty intense. Um, So clearly this momentum had to have been building before Candice donned the match. It had to have been bubbling under the surface. But that match and that iconic visual more than anything else uh, has really given um, the... uh, the struggle of of women in the industry a face like a literal face to point to and be like that that is what we do like we struggle we bleed just like you give us our opportunities and I think that this match will continue um, to be a storied match in the history of professional wrestling like your you know Stone Cold versus uh, Bret Hart at WrestleMania versus your, you know, like your, or like your Stone Cold and Rock at WrestleMania, uh, like uh, our, um, whatever, um, or I mean, our, our, our Hogan and Rock at WrestleMania, sorry. Um, like the, there are these sort of storied matches that like people just talk about. Uh, Randy Savage versus uh, Macho Man at WrestleMania 3, right? That's yeah, one of my favorite. Yeah, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat. Uh, Steamboat, yeah, 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 I'm saying far too many things in my brain right now and it's all I still quote that as the best match of all time because you can still watch it today and it holds up it is one of my absolute favorite matches of all time um there's a reason why I wrote Wrestlemania 3 as Wrestlemania 3 with that match being in the bridge you know like being like highlighted as it is because it is one of my absolute favorite matches of all time it is to me uh one of the best textbook storytelling matches of all time like you don't need to be a wrestling fan to understand the story that they tell in that match. And it is so wonderful because of that. Um, but yeah, so I think that this match uh, between the Young Bucks and uh, Candace and Joey will become one of those storied matches in history that just people talk about, especially given how all four of these individuals have only become more and more important to the to the field of professional wrestling in general. Cool. All right. We're going to take a short break and be back in a moment. Hey you, if you like the podcast, then remember to like the Holy Shoe Wrestling Podcast on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Holy Shoe Pot. Do it! Do it now! All 
Right, so we're back. So, um, Jackie, we talked a lot about this, your dissertation, and I've asked you about this in the past, and this would cost a lot of money for someone to buy and get hold of, because it's an, part of a larger academic piece. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Have you got any plans to make, like, at least some of your writings, like, on wrestling available, or, like, yeah. are you going to be publishing something? Uh, so um, I have my ideal goals versus what I'm going to try to do uh, in the in the short future. Um, so something that I'd like to do is I for a while I've wanted to start some kind of like um, blog, a, a place for some public writing. Uh, and I'd like it to be like public writing about wrestling, you know, something that takes this kind of analytical approach to uh, whether it's like doing a character analysis, whether it's doing, you know, an analysis of a match, like breaking down a match like I do in the chapter. And it's sort of, you know, it's it's um, rhetorical significance, um, maybe doing like uh, rebooking angles. So like, hey, this happened in this promotion. That might not have been a good choice. Let's look at why and what could have been done different. Like I just there's all this sort of like commentary that I can make about wrestling from this sort of academic brain so i'd like to to be able to to get a blog going with some of that and i what i would do is i'd edit down um the cha- i'd probably take like little sections for it because the chapter is composed in sections basically take the sections remove some of like the academic stuff that just doesn't matter for a public audience and then like put you know shorter more condensed versions of some of that out there um, and then in an ideal world, um, I would love this Candace chapter to become a full book. Um, I would love to expand each of those little sections into a full chapter in and of itself and actually have a whole book about that match in that moment. Uh, but that requires, you know, other people and resources saying, yes, we will give you money to make this book. So that is an ideal world. Um, I should like, hook you up with Heather and how she did her book. You know, she did so Heather Bandenberg. She did it all through the Unbound site and got funding mm. to justify it that way. So maybe that's a route you Ooh, could go down. That is a good way. Like yeah, and I need to order it. a copy of that too because now that I've got some reading time back in my life, I need to prioritize that book. It's a really good book. Definitely worth I reading bet. it. You know, I loved chatting to her about it in the past and going to the book launch when she did it and sort of seeing it take off. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I think there's definitely a, a, I'd love to sort of see your kind of writing. So I, there isn't there isn't that really I guess clever academic brain doing this. There's there's lots of websites that are just badly written. There's there's some histor- historians that I love to read, but there are a lot of people voicing their opinion and it's not in a way that's actually interesting and has value. So like if you could do something that would be awesome to be mm-hmm. able to read. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of academic, definitely think about definitely some of the words. I definitely had to look up some of the words that were very academic when I was reading the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely sort of getting the balance right there. Yeah. Um, but in terms of your other writing, though, so, yeah, hopefully the book stuff will work out in the blog as well. But the other thing I w- we wanted to talk about is like you're also a songwriter when it comes to like and it's songs about wrestling. So back in this is back on episode eight, which God, this was a long time ago. I swear this was like january or something it was it was over the winter yeah yeah um and i you know we did an episode that i made the guys i do i'm gonna i'm gonna by the way i'm gonna i'm gonna put that out i'm gonna extract we did it's like a long episode because we were talking about the royal rumble i'm gonna extract that one bit and do it like a bonus episode and put that out as well just talking about music and also make reference to the b plus players new album as well so we'll put that as a future episode but in that episode we talked about the best albums about proper like albums not john cena and macho man but actual musicians (laughs) 
and we talked about you, you, you know, your band Cheap Pop. We talked about B Plus Players, Mega Ran, um, yeah. and the Mountain Goat. It's some really good like resting music out there. Mm-hmm. And I said like your album um, that you did was Cheap Pop. It was back in 2016 um, called um, it was In Gorilla, wasn't it? Was the album title? Yeah, In Gorilla. Yeah. Yeah, I talked about it as my favorite just because it had the most, I think, the most emotion and the most like in, like thinking going on in terms of the actual the writing of the songs. So I really enjoyed it. Um, I guess you know we, we 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 there's a few songs we can go into in particular. But I guess just in general, how did that all come about? How did you guys decide to write an album about like rock music wrestling? Yeah, um, I have been a musician pretty much my whole life. You know, I started singing before I have conscious memory of it. Uh, gravitated towards playing all sorts of instruments growing up. Uh, mostly, I mean, vocals. I have like classical proper training but um other instruments i've you know self-taught myself how to play um so making music is like breathing for me it's just something natural and that i can't live without uh so with that sort of background piece in mind uh, i was hanging out with some friends we were watching wrestling it was probably some random pay-per-view uh and somebody says the phrase cheap pop probably in the room or even on tv who knows this was probably in I'm trying to place a timeline on this. I'm going to say this was in sometime probably in 2013. Um, so somebody brings up mentions the phrase cheap pop and um, Nick, my husband and our bassist goes, huh, that'd be a good band name. And that was the only comment. And I look immediately at him and go, no, that would be a great band name for a band about wrestling. And that was it for a little while. We're all like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. That's cool. But then like, like this, I don't know if this happens with other people out there who play music or who create things with their friends, but like you throw an idea, everyone loves it, but no one gets the ball rolling on it. So it just stays an idea for a while. Um, But I had such a clear sense of what this band could be from that moment i was like oh cheap pop this has got to sound like a pop punk band it's got to sound like cheap pop music and it's got to have this metaphor in it but it's got to be about wrestling so like i immediately just had this vision for what this band could be um so you know i mentioned earlier that i was working on my uh, master's thesis in 2013 2014 and this was sometime in the winter of um 2013 it was sometime maybe between november and january so like right in that window around the new year i was getting pretty stressed with the thesis writing because it can be overwhelming and i needed an outlet just to do something different and get my brain away from some of that stress um and clearly i was thinking a lot about daniel bryan because i was writing about him academically uh so i sat down with my guitar and was just like i'm gonna write a cheap pop song I'm going to write a song about Daniel Bryan. It's going to be a fan letter to him. Uh, so I sat down and pretty much in one session, minus a couple uh, lyrics in the second verse, had Daniel Bryan Danielson. Uh, and it was that was the first cheap pop song. Uh, and they just started coming from there. You know, it was just that was the one song that I needed to be able to to get the momentum going. And from there, I'm sort of the chief songwriter. You know, most most songs are just me and my guitar and my brain wandering um, with a couple, you know, exceptions in there. So 
And I oh, back on the um, episode back in episode eight, I think I talked about my favourite song being, and I, expl- I think I'm going to do a bit of detail about Double Turn and how amazing <laughs> that is as a song. Um, and it's just like the ability to talk about Bret Hart versus Stunksy Voss in, I think it was WrestleMania 13, wasn't it? I think that's Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And how, you know, and I explained how you'd covered so much in this one song and how that was actually the match that started the Attitude Era and how you talked about it in a great detail and the actual mm-hmm. emotion of that match. And that I love Thanks. that one. That's my favourite. Yeah, and that one was an interesting one because I had written the chorus. And to me, the chorus is a lot of my songs start with the chorus because like that's the main idea of the song. So like, Mm. you know, it helps me get, oh, that's what this song is. But it took me a while to figure out the verses on that because originally I thought I was going to be telling the story of the whole match. And then it it dawned on me one day, oh, this story isn't about the whole match. This story is just about the finish and what that meant for professional wrestling. And as soon as I can narrow down what the actual song was about, the rest of it came pretty quickly. I love that. There's some good shouting on that one, for lack of a better way I put it, in terms of getting into the emotion. But it's all good, like, yeah, punk, pop type, like, stuff, as you say, in terms of the stuff. And there's other great stuff on there, you know, about the struggles of being a babyface, a love letter to Paige, Mm -hmm. um, broad, Broad's favourite, Broad, who'd like host all of our like wrestling challenge episodes, his favourite is the song about JBL's flask. <laughs> and how JBL generally seems to be drunk on TV during that time period. For real, man. That was an ongoing joke with uh, my group of friends was just like every time he would make just some outlandish comment that sounded like your drunk uncle would make at a party. It was like, oh, there's JBL's flask again. So <laughs> I had to write a song. I'm, I'm so happy other people noticed that about his commentary. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of things done. We picked, well, we had, we'd had similar thoughts, I think, to like some of the stuff you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then there was some of the more the wrestling historians that really appeared things like Double Turn and WrestleMania Three. Mm-hmm. You know, a little, a little like so, a little march of the entire WrestleMania Three card as a song is quite impressive. Yeah, that was the fun to write too. That, that's a challenge too, because I'm like, all right, how do I try to get as many of these matches in the song as possible? Like, that's a little writing challenge to myself, you know? It's, yeah. It doesn't matter to other people, but it matters to me. Um, and obviously, this album, all the all the cheap pop songs can be found on Spotify, on Bandcamp, and mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I assume iTunes and other places? Yeah, they're on iTunes. Yeah, it's, everywhere. Um, pretty much anywhere you can get music, you can get in Gorilla. <laughs> I recommend people check it out. And I was t- I got all the guys into it a little bit before we went to WrestleMania, so it's one of the main sort of albums we were able to listen to while we were sort of like chilling out in our apartment. It was a very good rest. It's definitely something to listen to before you go to a show. It definitely gets oh, you. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Thank um, you. That's cool. And are you are you working on it? I know you've been distracted by the fact you've been doing a lot of academic yeah. writing. Are you, are you planning to get some more songs out at some point? Yeah, we do have a plan. So... A little while ago, um, gosh, almost about a year and a half ago at this point, we had recorded three songs for a split with the Razor Ramones, which yeah. is another WrestlePunk band. Um, and that is still technically forthcoming. There's still plans to release that, but who knows when that will be out. Um, but there's three songs forthcoming with that. Uh, one about the genius. Uh, one, they're all about specific rights. These are all like wrestling profiles. So one is about the genius, uh, which funny story, all the verses are limericks. So a little nod. Oh, to his very, very clever. So anyone, anyone who does not know the genius, look up some of his promos and they were <laughs> so good. Everyone says he only got a job because he's macho man's um, brother, but he had his own little gimmick going there. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy him. Um, the second song is about Terry Funk. 
Um, and it's called Never Retire because he will never retire. Uh, and the last song um, is about uh, Brett the Hit, uh, not Brett the Hit, um, uh, Shawn Michaels' Heartbreaker era, Shawn Michaels. So, like when he was the Heartbreak Kid. Uh, so, the song's called Heartbreaker. Um, and it's just specifically about that version of Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Uh, the one isn't we talking like earrings and like mirror and shades era uh, yes like that like early to mid 90s yeah. you know white pants with a broken heart on it yeah. dangler in one ear like that era. i see something. champion era oh, cool yeah <laughs> so those hopefully be at some point yep and, and so. then uh, we got about half the songs for another full length and like written and ready to go uh clearly haven't been able to work on them in the last year year and a half uh but now that i'm back on the east coast now that the band's literally all in the same place again because my drummer's been you know here the whole time uh we're gonna start uh ramping up practices again starting to get going on some shows again and hopefully next year we'll be recording and releasing another full length that would be ideal I said the same thing to the B plus player. So you need to try and get Conrad Thompson to check you guys out for the next, because I'm sure he'll do another star cast. And it's like, either book yourself for, like, for shows around it or try and get on the actual thing. I would it's love like, to try on. to get on it. Like, come on, dude, this is perfect for the after party or something mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. So I always said, definitely sort of trying to reach out to that guy. Um, I would love to um, I think before we sort of t- like players us out with some music, I just want to check. Um, I know that you're a big fan of Eve Wrestling as well. I uh, am. And uh, and I think it's like we've we've talked about Eve a few times, and you've even we've even like ended up you messaging me when I was at like Chris Wolf's retirement show for Eve and all the other things, and you know Heather Bandenberg's tie into it. I'm gonna try and get Emily and Dan. I've I've emailed Emily a few times in the past. I was sort of you know, we've exchanged messages, so I would definitely try and get this her way and say you know you need to listen to this because she'd love it. Oh, and try, I would... try and get her into it. Man, uh, Emily Reed just seems like such a kindred spirit. Like everything that I just see about her like from her public facing persona just seems like we could talk for days about music, about just, you know, feminism, about uh, wrestling, about just any host of things. Like I just, I believe so much in, in what Eve is doing in the spirit of it. It's punk, it's feminist, it's unapologetic. It is uh, creating and booking and portraying strong women of so many different body types and backgrounds and character traits it's just some of the most exquisite work out there in the wrestling scene yeah she is cool now whenever i've sort of i spoke to dan more at some of the live events i've been to but whenever i seen emily she's she's always so good with the fans as well and they're very like all inclusive as well so it's mm-hmm. like everything you're talking you, you know you're into and you're talking about in, in your the chapter we talked about she's definitely someone i think will hopefully get her to check it out i think she'd love to sort of read more and just same thing like heather i think you know, I'll get her like to make make sure I point this out to her because I'm going to get Heather back on the show at some point oh, and sort sweet. of stay stay around. See, she's very pregnant at the moment. Oh very, yes, she's very very pregnant. That so, will um <laughs> change some things. Yes. that slowed her down a little bit. But I sure. imagine. But I think the plan is to catch up later in the year about how the book's gone and everything as well. And she's like, um, you know, we talked off off air about like I'm trying to put together maybe a little writing project, and she's up for being involved in that as well. Mm-hmm. So trying to sort of pull that together with a few in few people that know how to write basically so, yeah I would so. that's this that's sort of a next step you know we talked a little bit earlier about some next steps but that's something else too like I'm just trying to hook up with the people who are trying to write about wrestling and yeah. get some projects going because I don't know we have we're on the we are riding the wave of a boom it is happening 
uh, AEW is going to usher in a public conversation about wrestling that we haven't had in like 20 years in mainstream, at least American culture. Uh, and it now is the time for like the people who think a lot about wrestling to really make our voices public. Yeah. Well, we're, we're carrying out our discussion off there about my, this little idea of mine of a women like wrestling book. So <laughs> we'll see how that one sort of comes mm-hmm. along. Before we go, I was going to play us one of your songs, um, just little, pick something off of the album. Is there anything you'd like us to end with? Um, ooh, let's see, what to play off the album. I know you've played a couple songs before. Yeah, but whatever, uh, you, whatever your choice is, we'll play out. Uh, could, I, could I play you a new one? If you wanted to play us a new one, you could do. If you've, I could do that. If, if you've got a good setup for sound-wise, I'm sure it'd be a great thing to have to end on. Well, why don't I do this? Let me grab my guitar and I have a song about Mean Gene that has been quietly sitting uh, in the catalog for a couple of years, played it at a couple shows live. Um, and uh, now, unfortunately, that he's no longer with us, um, I feel like it's it, it needs to be it needs to be out there. It needs to be heard. Cool. If you want to grab your guitar, yeah, yeah. we'll do that. Sounds Just good. It's great to get like an exclusive, I guess, sort of I on know. the show. So. so kind to us. So, I mean, I figure it makes sense to give you a little something yeah. new and different that they can only hear on the Holy Shoot Pod. Yeah, and then we'll hear like the proper version at some point, which will be a lot louder, I bet. 
Oh yeah, it'll be. <laughs> not, it, I mean, it's like it is a boppy song. It is just yeah. a loud boppy kind of power po- uh, power pop song. Cool. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you for playing the song. Um, I guess in terms of what we can plug for you, it's like I say, check out Cheap Pop on Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere. And also your, I'm guessing, if, if, your social handle is Cheap Pop the Band, right? Uh, Cheap Pop is a band. Cheap Pop yeah. is a band. <laughs> all the various places. Yes, yes, and you that's can find us there. People can then stay trapped. As, as you start looking at how you're going to publish some of your writings, that's the way I'm guessing they'll be able to hear about it. Yeah, I will certainly be in touch with all of you at the Holy Shoot Pod with um, any uh, anything that kind of comes out there that you guys can look up and follow, whether it's with me and my own kind of independent scholarship or uh, as a band making some fun music for your ears. Great. Thank you. It's great so chat today. Have a good rest of your weekend. Well, you too.